Hello and welcome to the Unworking podcast. I'm Nicole Barreto, Business and Innovation Manager at Unwork, and it's a pleasure to be one of the hosts of this series. In this series, we'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, thought leaders, authors, business leaders, and leading industry professionals who have a unique vision or perspective on the future of work and workplace. Our mission is to provide a holistic overview of current and future trends, predominantly covering six key areas, people, place, culture, design, technology, and innovation. So the past three years have been nothing short of transformative as the pandemic forced the world to adapt to a new reality. We have seen work and workplace hugely affected and it's a topic that's at the forefront of many minds. How we reimagine work in the workplace will be the overarching backbone of this podcast. It's a pleasure to host this exclusive discussion with Dr. Daniel Hume today. Daniel is a leading expert in artificial intelligence, emerging technologies and the metaverse. He is the CEO of Citalia, an award-winning company that provides AI products and solutions for global companies such as Tesco and PwC, and he is also the director of UCL's Business Analytics. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. So to kick things off, can you um, just briefly introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your company, Citalia? Yeah, I have uh, two hats, really, an academic hat for the past 25 years. I've been um, researching AI from my undergraduate, PhD, postdocs. Um, I'm now actually entrepreneur in residence for UCL, which is one of the world's leading universities in the world, and help them spin out um, AI companies. I started the company 15 years ago uh, from my PhD um, uh, that's been building AI, AI solutions for large organizations. And we were acquired by WPP um, 18 months ago, which is the biggest media marketing company in the world, where I take on the chief um, AI officer. Um, across the whole whole group. So um, yeah, uh, AI is my bag. Fantastic. It must be a really interesting space to be in at the moment as well. So yeah, my cognitive load has, uh, has quadrupled over the past, uh, past six months, <laughs> but um, it's a really exciting time. Absolutely. So you've worked with sort of large corporates, including Tesco's and PwC. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about the AI products and solutions you've deployed there and I guess how they've improved operational efficiency. Yeah, with um, with PwC, um, in the UK, they have um, 5,000 auditors that they need to allocate to a demand. Um, historically, they would have you know 40 planners trying to solve that, that problem. And uh, the question was, can we use AI to solve it? better um the uh just to give you some maths if i've got five people to allocate to five jobs there are 120 possible ways so five times four times three times two times one if i've got 15 people to allocate to 15 jobs there are now a trillion ways if i've got 60 people to allocate to 60 jobs there are now more possible ways than there are atoms in the universe pwc have 5000 mm-hmm. um and uh, and so um, we built um, an algorithm um, that could solve that problem significantly faster and better than, than human beings. Um, it, it, instead of 40 people's full-time job, it took two hours. And the primary objective was to maximize utilization. If we could increase utilization by X percent, then um, the project would pay for itself. 
we built an algorithm that was initially projecting um, five times that. So five times the kind of the, the what what success would look like to to PwC. But what was interesting is that is that if you increase utilization significantly, then people would be driving longer distances. They'd be um, the clients wouldn't be getting the continuity they'd be expecting. Um, people wouldn't be having enough time to train. So so we need to acknowledge that these technologies can really move the needle for a KPI. And now you have mm -hmm. to look across lots of KPIs and, and and what's the nice thing about these technologies is they can lift all of them. You don't have to compromise one over the other. And and for Tesco, mm -hmm. um, in this particular case, it was around um, delivery uh, drivers. So making sure that delivery drivers were getting home on time, um, adhering to their schedules. Um, but of course, if you use smarter algorithms, smarter AI, um, Tesco are able to deliver significantly more um, uh, groceries uh, and actually um, reduce the amount of travel time. So going back to this idea of, of, of um, uh, multiple KPIs benefiting. I think we save them at the moment 20 million miles a year, which, which is to the moon and back 50 times. Wow, that's a that's a great stat. <laughs> and it's really interesting to hear kind of the practical use cases of how how AI is kind of helping companies kind of improve their efficiency. I suppose so. Um, that's really yeah. Interesting. I think I think. The, the, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen organizations make over the past decade is that they've been actually hiring my students, data scientists, machine learning experts, um, either, either because they expect that by extracting more insights or better insights from data and then giving those insights to human beings that you're able to make better decisions. And actually humans are bounded by our decision-making capability. So giving human beings more insights doesn't necessarily lead to better decisions. Um, but the other problem I've seen is companies are, um, using data scientists to solve essentially optimization problems. Uh, optimization, um, PwC is an optimization problem. How do you allocate staff in a way that maximizes a, a, you know, an objective function? And, and you don't, data scientists are the wrong people to solve those problems. Mm. Well, that, that's interesting because our kind of next kind of topic is sort of data-driven decision-making. So I think, yeah. um, you know, it's a really hot topic at the moment. I think lots of organizations are kind of thinking about how they use their data. I think for a long time, it was kind of people were capturing it, but not, not really using it properly, don't know what to do with it. Um, so I guess a question for you is how do you think companies should use data to help them make informed decisions? So I like the term um, AI-assisted decision-making. Decision-making is a complex problem, and you can't necessarily just leave it entirely to the AI. The AIs are really good at making certain decisions, but there's some things that they can't make um, or are difficult to make, in which case you need to know when to bring the human into the into the loop. Um, so, so I'm a big advocate of trying to figure out what is the decision problem that needs to get solved first, um, and then solve that algorithmically. And then work backwards and say, kind of, what insights can help that, that help that leads to better decisions, um, and and where where in that process do you need do you need human beings? So so, but the the fact is is that is that humans are bounded by our ability to extract insights from data. We are bounded by our ability to make decisions, and these technologies are now phenomenal in in helping those be be better. Um, my, my day, my day job is is helping organisations essentially make better decisions, and 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 the art is being able to spot what are the decisions that should be made by AI and what decisions should be left by human beings. One of the one of the projects that we're doing at the moment with one of our biggest clients, and this is going to sound really creepy uh, uh, or cool depending on how you look at it, but we we essentially create a digital twin of it, of it, of each one of their employees. So we take you 
and we, we take all of the data that you that you create and we train a large language model like a, a, a chat GBT on your data and then I can ask that digital representation of you if I put you on this project will you work well if I put you on this team will you thrive so instead of asking you that question I can ask the digital representation of you and that that insight can then be used by human planners to then allocate people to work you know in theory you could use that insight to allocate people to work automatically but um, but sometimes those insights are incorrect you know, if I train a, a digital representation of you, it might not be accurate. So you need to have the human being there to make sure those insights make, make sense. Um, but the fact mm -hmm. is, is that we can use our insights to help planners make better decisions. Yeah, that, that's going to be really interesting. And are you seeing that kind of come a bit more mainstream in, in the next kind of few years, do you think? Oh, abs absolutely. I think, you know, organisations have realised that kind of doing role-based allocation um, is 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 not sensible. What we need to do is we need to use AI to understand people's skills and the whole kind of plethora of ways in which a, an employee or human being can contribute to an organization, which is much more than just a role. And um, And then what you need to be able to do is use AI to then recommend or allocate people to those opportunities that, um, that that enable them to to do work that aligns with their values and the values of the organization so so to be able to 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 understand that that plethora of ways in which you can contribute um, you, you can't rely on a human being to hold that in their heads or uh, so you need AI to support you mm, yeah definitely so I guess keeping on the AI theme, um, in your opinion, how do you think companies can use AI to unlock the creative capacity of their workforce? So I think you know Silicon Valley call this liquid organisations or f fluid decision making, um, but we've been thinking about this for for almost two decades, and 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 it, and it is this idea of of understanding. The different skills um, and ways in which you can contribute, whether you're good at giving feedback or whether you are um, you are people go to you for advice. You can use AI to unlock and understand those insights. Uh, you can use AI to free people up from mundane tasks, um, so that you you know the, the, these these technologies are phenomenal at automating repetitive tasks to enable human beings to go and do what they want to do. But you still need to make an organizational platform structure that enable those, those enable those people to find the work that aligns with um, with 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 their hopes, dreams, and, and desires. So you know automation is good on one on one side, but then you need to create that that plat platform that enables them to to find work. And th and that that means that you you need to understand your supply i.e. you know your people their hopes dreams desires preferences skills all that kind of stuff the relationships they have with each other so you need to get that data you also need to understand what work needs to get done and organizations are typically not very good at sizing work understanding kind of what what does need to get done uh, and then you need to use ai to then either recommend or allocate people to, to that work um, and so those are at least three areas in which um, you can you can uh, benefit employees um, work but from an organizational perspective, you then can use AI to project into the future and say, what, what types of skills do we need to be either developing or hiring for over the next year? What does our demand look like? You know, what work do we think is coming in over the next year? So you can proactively um, um, address that and, and make sure that you're training people for the future instead of um, reactively. Yeah, definitely. And I guess it's quite interesting at the moment because 
you know, we're seeing a new generation coming into the workforce who are very tech savvy. And how do you think that's going to affect maybe some of the older generation who have been in the workforce for a while, who perhaps aren't as accommodating to kind of predictive uh, technology and analytics? Yeah, I haven't had that question before. It's an interesting one. I, I guess, I guess you know, pe- people that have a wealth of experience are incredibly valuable. And, you know, we probably don't do a good enough job tapping into that experience, having them as mentors, um, as hosts, to guide us through our careers and to, and to help us not make the mistakes that they made when, you know, when they were at the start of their career. So, you know, I, I guess I hope that by making work more efficient more productive we can we can free we can free up more time to make sure that we tap into the strengths of the kind of older more experienced experienced generation and pass that knowledge more effectively onto the onto the next generation yeah definitely i think that knowledge kind of transfer is so key for the successful future companies and businesses and people and i have to just caveat that that was a bit of a sweeping statement i am not suggesting that <laughs> Everybody who's been in work for a while is against technology and AI. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Some people are a bit nervous about AI, um, have concerns, privacy concerns, ethical concerns. And that's kind of one of the areas, ethical AI is one of the areas that you specialize in. So I wanted to ask you how you think we can ensure that we use AI responsibly um, for the benefit of society but also what you think the key ethical considerations are for companies who are thinking about deploying AI at work? Yeah, I have a, a, a few kind of controversial um, opinions about this. The first controversial opinion is that, is that I don't think there is such thing as ethical AI. I know that, you know, it's a term that we all use at the moment, but um, ethics is the study of right and wrong. And what happens in business is that we, we have... We, we have an intent. The intent is to maximize utilization. The intent is to enable career development. The intent is to route our vehicles to maximize the number of deliveries. That's the intent. And then we deploy a system, uh, an AI or a computer system or even a people-based system to try to achieve that intent. Now, if you haven't designed that system in the right way and it makes mistakes, i.e. it's bias, or if it overachieves its intent and it causes harm somewhere else, then I would argue that's a safety problem. It's not an ethical problem. And um, what you've done is designed a system that you haven't thought about the consequences of that system's um, output. Um, I, I, um, AIs don't have an intent. We set the intent, and it's the intent that needs to get scrutinised from an AI perspective. And um, uh, and and so, you know, one of the reasons why I do these talks is to try to make sure that people are thinking about the right intent in using these technologies and, and, and also helping them realize that if used in the right way, it will it will achieve their intent significantly. And then what are the consequences um, to, to their business? What are the consequences to their employees or society if um, if it, it achieves its intent massively or if it, if it goes wrong? Uh, because these technologies are incredibly powerful. I think the concept of um, AI ethics is, is, is a little bit misleading. I think that, that there are ethical considerations um, but most of the problems that we're dealing with in AI are, are safety problems. And, uh, and and actually, I would even go so far that most AI projects that fail, they don't fail for even ethical or safety reasons. They fail for the same reasons that traditional software development projects fail. They fail because they haven't got the right people on the projects. They haven't budgeted correctly. They haven't thought about maintenance and support, all of that, all of that boring stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, but but I would also say sorry that sorry that uh, um, that I uh, that these 
these technologies are going to have the most profound impact on on business and and society over the next um, next ten years. And and I know there's a lot of concern and and fear mongering around these technologies, mm-hmm. and that's primarily you know the media, but it's also primarily people's um, lack of uh, of understanding of uh, the unknown tends to scare people, and and I, I think that over the next ten years we're going to see a Cambrian explosion of new ideas, new innovations, new types of companies. There's going to be a huge amount of disruption, um, and and I think genuinely that dis- disruption is going to be quite positive. Beyond ten years, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. So anybody that speculates that the world's going to to be dystopia or a utopia, I don't think that they know what they're talking about. Um, the fact is, is that these technologies can create a dystopia or utopia we don't know where it will go but it's within our gift it's within it's within each of our gift to be making decisions to make sure that we're creating a better world for future generations um it, we don't let, let the future happen to us it's within our gift to create it mm, yeah absolutely um and i suppose talking about kind of this dystopia kind of world i, I wanted to talk about the big m word the metaverse so it's mm. kind of you know, we've been talking about it probably quite a lot sort of in the media and gen- and generally over the last kind of few years. And I wanted to kind of get your opinion on how you think the metaverse is really impacting the current workplace and what you think the f- kind of future opportunities and challenges are there. So, so first of all, I think, you know, the AI is, is, is very different. You know, the excitement around AI is very different to the metaverse because I think there's a clear understanding about where we can apply AI to unlock creativity to reduce costs all that kind of stuff metaverse there was a lot of excitement around the metaverse i think it captured a lot of people's imaginations last year um i i do think the metaverse will will come over time uh but it's very hard to see the clear use cases um that are going to drive i guess for the most part short-term value for organizations um but but i think the kind of the the com the merging of the physical world and the digital world will naturally happen. We, we, these these technologies, augmented reality, virtual reality, can enrich our experience of the world. So when we go into a shop, um, we can we can augment that experience with with things that 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 enrich our our, um, our, our lives. And so I, I think that this will come. I think it'll take some time. I think that generative AI allows us to build content, create content, even. Uh, 3D content that will allow us to build uh, the metaverse more quickly. That was one of the bottlenecks. But I do, I do, I do see a, a bringing together of the physical and digital worlds over over the coming decade. Um, if I'm if I'm totally honest, you know that that probably enriches the lives of a of a small portion of humanity. I'm much more interested in trying to unlock the economic constraints of of people that, that are not born into that kind of privilege and and enable them. To, to to be free or more free to contribute to the world in however they want. So so whilst I think the metaverse is going to be fantastic, um, I, I think there's a huge amount of other applications of these technologies that can that can enrich um, other people's lives. Mm, absolutely, and and it's so important to remember that and and focus on that and be inclusive in that way because not everybody has the same access to the same technology, I suppose. Indeed. Well, well, I guess what what was exciting what was exciting me about the the metaverse and what still does is the is the idea not not that we you know the amazing worlds that we'll be existing in and 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 and, and interacting in but this digital you this digital 
representation of you that persists in this virtual universe and that digital representation of you is kind of collecting data about how you're interacting in games in stores in all sorts of different environments and what was i guess exciting me was the idea that that digital representation of you can augment you and help you make better decisions around your well-being and your life and uh, all that kind of stuff and, and i think that's an incredibly powerful idea yeah and sometimes it, it nudges you to make the right decisions isn't it and i think that's the important thing because we don't we kind of like you say we control and limit ourselves sometimes i think <laughs> cool so i think you've you've given us a few kind of big predictions uh, or a few predictions uh, throughout our kind of chat today but i kind of wanted to just ask you i guess if there are any sort of big emerging technologies or trends that you think will significantly impact work and the workplace over the next sort of, let's say, 10 years? Um, so so I, I expect generative AI. At the moment, generative AI are are like having an intoxicated graduate in your pocket that, that's, that's quite good at most subjects. Um, my guess is that over the next year or so, it will become a master's level. Um, so I'll be able to reason. Um, uh, then it will become a PhD level, so to be able to create hypotheses, test those hypotheses themselves, um, and then maybe then you know a professor or, or genius level. And and the the AI community thinks that creating, I guess, what is called an AGI, AGI, an artificial general intelligence, um, i.e., a system that's as smart as all of our smartest people. Um, that, that's an incredibly disruptive, powerful um, technology um, if we can get a machine to do everything that a human can do. So um, now, on the one hand, that it could be challenging from a job perspective. It could free up a lot of people from from jobs um, and, and maybe you know people won't have enough to, to train fast enough to be able to get new jobs um, and the, the governments and, and companies need to mitigate that risk. But on the flip side, if we can if we can remove the friction the and friction by the way usually means human labor from the creation and dissemination of goods of food healthcare education energy if you can remove the friction you you can bring the cost of all of those goods down to almost zero so these technologies have a promise to to bring to create a world of abundance uh, and a, a world where all of our goods that we depend on are free then unlocking more and more people up to go and develop themselves and to figure out how to contribute to humanity in new and, and creative ways. So that that's that's the kind of the world that I would like to see um, happen over the next 10 years is more and more people freed up from work um, and be able to be provi provided for in a world of abundance and enabling them to be able to contribute to humanity in, in, in incredibly creative ways. Great. I think that's a fantastic prediction. I like to see that happen too. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for your time today, Daniel. It was really such a pleasure to have you on. If, if anybody's interested in hearing more from Daniel, you can hear him speak at WorkTech's upcoming unworking conference on the 14th of June, hosted by Accenture in London. Thank you again for everyone who's listened in today, and we'll see you next time. If anything discussed in this podcast has piqued your interest, then please do get in touch with us by emailing unworking at unwork.com. We aim to deliver engaging and informative content for our community and your feedback plays a crucial role. If you have any comments, suggestions, or simply want to share your experience with this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the Unworking Podcast. Thanks again for joining us.